Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you open them to the book of 1 Peter? We're going to pick up where we left off last time in chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. If you weren't here for the last few weeks, I encourage you to go to our app or our website and listen, especially if you're married, listen to the Bible studies. Uh, really go back to the beginning of the chapter when we looked at the overarching teaching on submission. And then we saw from submission uh, in employment and to government, we also then talked about submission in marriage, uh, both with the wife, there's mutual submission, husband and wife, but the role of the wife. And then we also looked in our last study together on the role of the husband and his command, the command here from Peter to dwell with your wives with understanding and treat them as the precious women that they are. Now we pick up in verse eight, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Remember, Pastor Peter is writing to believers that are going through tough times, Families are struggling. Situations are serious. Not everything was going the way that they had anticipated or planned. Really, nothing was going the way that they would like. And that was for the first century church, but we could say the same for us in many ways. We make our plans, we look to the future, we have high hopes, and then we live life to find out that sin is corrupted. All of our hopes and plans and things don't happen the way that we thought they would. And tough times come to us as well. And it's more than just inconvenience. Inconvenience is one thing, but deep trials are another. They're not just inconvenience, the first century believers. They're on, their, they're on the run for their own lives. The government, led by Nero, is after them, blaming them for things that they didn't do. They were experiencing things that you could describe as wrong and unjust, painful, hard, in some cases could even lead to hopelessness. Daily, they could find themselves in situations where their response is, this is just wrong. This isn't right. What's wrong with this world? What's wrong with Nero? God, why? Why have you allowed this? Now, things might not be that tough for us yet. We certainly aren't experiencing what the first century believers faced, at least the way they did. We have our own trials and difficulties, but there are still situations in your life where you can step back and say, this is just wrong. This isn't right. This isn't the way it should be. Sometimes it's brought upon ourselves. We're suffering the consequences of our own sinful decisions. We're paying, we're, we're reaping what we've sown. And you may be able to look back at your own life and go, you know what? I didn't take that seriously. I didn't take that seriously. I thought I got away with it. And then boom, it visits you at just the wrong time. And there are times when we bring it upon ourselves. I believe it was F.B. Meyer, the famous preacher that once said, and I quote, 
This is the bitterest of all, to know that suffering need not have been, that it's resulted from our own indiscretions and inconsistencies, that it is the harvest of one's own sowing. All me, this is pain. Sometimes it's our own sin. Other times it's the sin of others. People we have no control over. Situations that we couldn't change because we have no ability to change. We can't touch the hearts of people and people do things and say things and behave certain ways that we become, we become the ones that pay the price for their sin. I, I think of abuse. I think of prejudice. I think of gossip and slander. I think of thieves breaking in and stealing. Those are all horrific, painful, painful situations. Sometimes it's both. It's a little bit of our own sin. It's a little bit of others. It's the environment that we live in. And Peter writes in chapter 3, really in chapter 2 as well, that our response is to live in submission. To voluntarily fall in line. To live in submission. And we looked at those things in depth. But it's counterintuitive because in difficult times, our response with things that we have no control over, one of our fleshly responses to try to control and try to and, and respond in such a way where, man, this doesn't, this is happening, this is happening, but I want to control part of it. And often that's a sinful decision, taking things into our own hands. When we were studying through 1 Samuel verse by verse, we learned how many opportunities David had when he was on the run from King Saul. Literally, King Saul chased him to murder him. He was tormenting him, throwing spears at him. And David had opportunity after opportunity to take things into his own hands, and he refused. Why? Because he learned to commit his life to the providence of God. He learned to live trusting God. To know that while he couldn't change the circumstance, or if he could, it wouldn't have been God's will. And we learn that here with Peter. Now, many, many years later, Peter says, look, I know things are hard. I know things are difficult. I know there's stress in your marriage. I know there's stress in your business. I know there's so much pressure and stress in your life right now. But he says, finally, be of one mind, he says in verse 8. Next to that phrase, one mind, you could just write the word unity. Unity. How important it is for us to love in unity. Because difficulties disrupt unity. Listen, one of the most worn out weapons of the devil, one of the ones that he's used on every single one of us, that's everyone that's listening to me right now, is to bring disunity into our lives. Disunity in the church, of course, disunity in our relationships, disunity in our families. He'll throw all of his weight into disrupting unity. Why? Well, because Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is so important that in the book of uh, Ephesians, when Paul was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus, he actually said, if you're going to be fighting for anything, fight for unity. Fight, he says, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Automatically, the decision that we make to abide in Christ brings us back to the unity that's already there. Unity, disunity comes from us fighting and 
being in the flesh and being upset with one another, pushing our point. Disunity comes when we don't protect it and guard it. And it's beautiful in verse 8 to see what comes from unity. Notice he says, the first thing in verse 8 is, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. So the first thing that comes, that you can look for when there's unity is compassion. Compassion. The word means sincerely feeling for, or sincerely feeling with. Compassion. That you think of the needs of others above your own. When they hurt, you hurt. When they struggle, you struggle. And compassion flows from a soft heart, not a hard one. And it speaks of sensitivity. Notice number two, he says, love as brothers. So brotherly love is a result of unity. Whenever, wherever there's unity, there's going to be compassion and there's going to be brotherly love. Not only that, but notice you can put these two together, tenderheartedness. I know a lot of guys don't like to be described as tender-hearted, especially guys. Like, you know, you want to be strong, put up a strong front, but part of unity is a tenderness about you, a tenderness from the Lord. You see, God, he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to take on a human body, and one of the things, one of the ways Jesus was described as tender-hearted, gentle, meek, and mild. Not, Not that he was weak in any way, or that he was someone without power, but rather he knew how to care for others. You could say that Jesus had this power under control, brotherly love and tenderness. There's a sweetness in unity when we love one another. With tender hearts, we can then sense the leading of God's spirit to look out for others with an openness to meet others' needs. Also, he says in verse eight, be courteous. I like that. Be courteous. This is humility. As we put others ahead of ourselves, when I'm, courte- when I'm courteous, I'm nice to you. I'm kind. I, I think of you before I think of myself. I think of how I can care for you. I, I put my own needs second to yours. Notice this comes from unity. This is led by the Holy Spirit. This is something that God can put into us. And it reminds us that as a church, we're a family. We're a family here. A family of believers drawn together, knit together, by Jesus' great and compassionate love for us. One thing that we all share in common is that we were great sinners met by great grace. Every single one of us. When we begin to forget where we came from, or perhaps you were raised in a godly home, right? And you don't have this massive sinful testimony. So you know, you, when I say you remember where you came from, you kind of think back and go, well, I, I just remember following Jesus since I was in diapers. I remember my family doing devotion. Well, well, then what you need to remember is not simply where you came from, but what God held you back from. Like you didn't have to live some nasty life like I did. You don't have to pay all the price that I did for my own sin, all the hurt that I caused. So that God prevented you. But for most of us, unfortunately, we have to remember where we came from, what God delivered us out of, the pit and the muck and the mire and the bondage to sin, the things that we were doing, the things that we were into, the decisions that we made. We've all been saved from sin. We've saved uh, saved out of sin or saved from sin or a deep life of sin. And and this is the family that God adopted us into. And the bonds here in the church can be greater than your own blood relations. That's a startling thing. I know that some of you, your relationships in the church are deeper than your relationships with your own blood family. And it's just a very difficult place to be. It's very hard. 
Because the relationships can get so deep in the body of Christ, because there's such a trust among us, because there's such an intimacy and our guards go down as our relationships grow, that's why, you might want to mark this in your mind or in your notes, why it hurts so much when you're betrayed by a believer, when you're hurt in the church, you could say. When you, something happens to you and you just didn't expect it. Not in the church, you might say. Oh, I know, I got that at work and I got that in my family, but I never thought it would happen in the church. I'm sorry, it happens in the church all the time. And the startling thing is, is that not only can you be hurt in the church, you also can hurt someone else. It's not just to you, it can come from you. That's, that's family. That's why I like to say, you know, when we use the word family, when God talks about us being a adop- family is a good illustration because I like to say, we all have family. Uh, you have a family, I have a family. We all have that brother, we all have that cousin. We all, like family's family. Like it's, it, you, there's even a lot of discussion about the dysfunctional family. You know, truth be told in the light of Christ, we all grew up in a dysfunctional family. Dysfunction just comes from sin. Now, let me, let me be careful. I don't want to minimize some of the pain that you personally experienced in your dysfunctional family. I know some are worse than others. But none of us grew up in a perfect family. And none of us are leading a perfect family. <laughs> we all have difficulties. That's why it hurts. So we have high expectations with the body of Christ. Many of those expectations are not unusual or unreasonable. We have high expectations. But we have to remember when disunity comes, then with the opposite of compassion, the opposite of brotherly love, the opposite of tenderness, the opposite of courtesy starts to to happen among us. And it doesn't just happen, it doesn't need to happen all of us. You could just be hitting the wrong person at the wrong time. And you're like, man, and it was the wrong time. You were the wrong person in the wrong time to have to deal with that. And the enemy just loves to sow seeds of discord. That's why the Bible says in the Proverbs that God, he hates. Let me show you. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 6 with me. This is so so vital to understand the heart of God. Go back to Proverbs with me, would you? Proverbs chapter 6. I want you to pick up in verse 16. By the way, if you're looking for a way to read the Bible regularly every day, looking for a devo, you know, a way to start, read a proverb a day. Uh, this month happens to have 31 days, so you can read a chapter of the Proverbs every day, and God will just begin to infuse wisdom in your heart. And if you have a little extra time, not only read a chapter of Proverbs a day, because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and mostly 31 or 30 days in a month, so you could read a chapter a day, and on some days just double up. But if you have a little extra time, you can read some of the Psalms, and you can go as long as you want. Some Psalms are shorter or longer. But when you read the Proverbs, God is depositing wisdom in you. When you read the Psalms, which are right next to the Proverbs, God is depositing worship inside of you, because it's the Psalm book of the Bible. And then if you have a little extra time and you're just beginning in the Bible, don't know where to start, start reading the Gospel of John. Because what that God will deposit in you is a love for Jesus. <laughs> and that's what you want anyway. You want to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your strength. So, so listen to the wisdom that's given to Solomon here. Pick up in verse 16, Proverbs chapter 6. I want you to mark this, and I want you to see very carefully the change and transition that takes place here. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, 
Now, notice up to this point, it's a look, a tongue, hands, heart, feet, and then things change with number six. Now it's a person. I know this is hard to receive, but this is what the Bible says. Sometimes you have to step back and just let the Bible say what it says. And so you go back and match. The Lord hates a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord, notice where? Among the brethren. And I believe that includes here in the church. God hates those who sow discord in the church. If you sat on my side of the desk or any of the pastors and leaders here that have to deal with the fallout of disunity, you would agree with me. If you've been on the other end of the pain of disunity, you would agree with me because we agree with the Bible. It's a horrible thing for those that purposely want to destroy you and destroy the church, this local body, that church, by lying and sowing little seeds. And it's not outright most of the time. It's just little seeds, little questions, little doubts that if you're not careful, you'll run with. It might come in a weak moment for you. And the Bible says he doesn't just hate that. He hates them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be, I don't want my life to be on the other end of the hatred of God. Now, I understand the new covenant, and I know save you guys from emailing me and go, hey, that's the old covenant, that's the old covenant. Yeah, the God of the old covenant is the same God of the new covenant. He doesn't approve of disunity today, I can tell you that. He doesn't approve of those sowing seeds of discord. He doesn't approve of a little post on Facebook and the little notes over here and the little innuendos and prayers. He doesn't approve any of that. That's not true, it's not from the Lord. He hates those that sow seeds of discord. And you know, even half-truths are full lies. (laughs) You've got to be really careful walking in the Spirit, right? How how do we protect ourselves from that? Well, back into Peter, even in the midst of great trial, unity. Unity. Unity comes from the Spirit. We're a family here. Even though you might say today, listening to me, but Ed, Pastor Ed, Pastor, I'm a part of this church, or I'm listening, I'm part of another church, and I've been wronged. I've been hurt. I'm the one that received the short end of the stick. They've gossiped about me. They've slandered me. They've drugged my reputation through the mud. And they did it on purpose. And they say they're believers. What am I supposed to do then? That's a great question to ask. Look at verse 9. Here's your answer. Not returning evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. Number one. Don't seek revenge. Because that humble spirit, it started with the spirit of submission. It's applied among the governmental realm. It's applied at work. It's applied in your personal relationships. It's applied in your marriage. It's applied in your single submission. That submissive spirit leads to unity. That unity with the spirit. It's not just unity with one another. We emphasize that unity with one another. But the more important unity is our our relationship with God that we're all on his same page. And that unity will lead us, even when we're tempted, not to return evil for evil. So you're right, it's evil. You're right, it's wrong. You're right, it should stop. It's evil. Okay, well then don't return evil for evil. Don't return insult for insult. Don't return pain for pain. Don't return post for post. That's impossible. Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. 
You find that you begin to choose to jump in the mud with those that aren't in the flesh. You jump in the mud with those that are evil and acting whether they say they're believers or not. When you jump in the mud with them, you know what happens? You get muddy. And the other person, they like it. That's what they wanted you to do. They want you off your game. They want you out of the spirit. They want you, they want you to come to their level. And Peter says, and it's hard as it is, don't return evil for evil. Don't return reviling for reviling. Reviling is a strong word that speaks of strong words being hurled at you. The closest word that we would probably understand today is insults. He said, don't return them. Like Jesus and Paul, Peter urged his readers not to take revenge. And he gives us a positive. He says, on the contrary, blessing, know that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. There is a blessing on the other end when you leave vengeance to God. There is a blessing on the other end when you do not return flesh with flesh, with evil with evil. Here's some scriptures you want to jot them down. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. This is not a new teaching. It's all throughout the scriptures. It's the heart of God. Has someone hurt you? Are you returning evil for evil? Jesus, his teachings and leadings is that we don't do that. He wants us to look to him in the midst of pain. He wants us to derive our strength from him. Paul, he writes strongly. Would you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me, please? Paul writes very strongly to the believers in Corinth because they decided to take things into their own hands. They decided to take things into their own hands. Let's see what he has to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5. Look how he starts. Jot this down. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not even a wise man among you? Not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. And here's the big question. This is the big question. You should highlight this. You should circle this. This is the issue. So so this isn't a prohibition against using the legal system. There are certainly appropriate times to use the legal system. That's not what this is a prohibition. What this is a prohibition is, is that instead of going to the brother or sister yourself to resolve the issue and even involve the leadership of the church to help you resolve it, you just hire a lawyer and threaten to sue or sue them outright. That is sinful. That is not the Lord. You know that just didn't come from the Lord. Again, this isn't a prohibition of using the court system when necessary in the legal system. So we've learned already about the role of government and man. However, this idea of of just not going, bypassing the church leadership, bypassing those that you're accountable to, to hire a lawyer and take it to the public courts, not from the Lord. All day, every day. And this is the problem. Here it is. Here's, you should measure, you should, this is the question to ask. Why do you not rather accept wrong? And that's it. It's a rhetorical question, but 
If it was asked to me, I would say because I don't like being wronged. That's why. Why don't you accept wrong? Because I don't like it. And if I'm on the wrong day at the wrong time, I may respond in a way where the Holy Spirit needs to convict me of my own sin. I don't always like being wronged. And there are even times when maybe I don't return evil for evil, maybe I don't return for evil, and I get tired of that. <laughs> I just get tired. And I get to that place where enough is enough. And I begin to sit in the seat of God over my life. But that's not the place I belong. I don't belong in the throne room of God sitting on his throne. I yielded and seated my life and everything about my life to him. I gave, we use that language, don't we? I gave my life to God. I mean that. I want to walk in his wisdom. I want to walk in his strength. But this is the question that some of you need to ask of yourself in the current situation. Why don't you just accept wrong? Because if you just accept wrong, you can move on and not return evil for evil. It is wrong. There is a language in the Bible that you can take it to God. It's called lamenting. You can lament to God where you are crying out that there is, just, there is injustice, but justice is coming. You, you can just accept wrong as a believer. He says, why don't you just let yourselves be defrauded? And there are times when that happens. No, instead, he says, you're, they did the exact opposite. You yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. And then he begins to describe, this is like unrighteous living. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not, like you're so, your behavior should shock you into thinking, man, you're living like an unrighteous unbeliever. Unrighteous people aren't going to, and Paul was so strong to the church in Corinth that, that he said some strong words. He says, you know, you got to check your behavior because this is how unrighteous people live. And if you're an unrighteous person, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And how did it start? By, it started with being wronged. And then it continued by your response. You can end the wrong that someone's done to you tonight by forgiving them. You can end it. And you go, but Ed, if I forgave, if I forgive tonight, as soon as I say I forgive you, even in my heart, if you have the chance to share that with them, as soon as I say that, they're going to sin against me again. And then you can end the evil in your life by forgiving them. Again, yeah, but Ed, they might do it 20 times before I go to bed tonight. Yeah. And remember, Peter was just as startled by the same teaching of Jesus. Because he listened to the teaching on forgiveness from Jesus and it blew his mind. He goes, seven times? You want me to do it seven, seven times? Like, are you, what are you, that, I can't. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong, Peter. You got your math all wrong. It's not even about counting. It's about not returning evil for evil. You don't even count. Don't even get a calculator out. 70 times 7. And you know, 70 times 7 on the very next one, you can do it. No, no, no. It's 70 times 7 and another and another so that you live a free life. When you return evil for evil, you're just as evil as the evil that was done to you. And you're not walking in the ways of Jesus. Peter says, on the contrary, I want you to bless them. Coming back to 1 Peter now, I want you to bless them. Blessing. One of the blessings isn't just some overt act of blessing. One of the blessings 
is not returning evil for evil. That's a blessing to the other person. Because, you know, they, they're loved by God. Jesus died for them. One of the blessings that I believe in context here is not just looking for good things to do, but the fact that you obey God by not returning evil for evil, by not in getting involved in it, by just standing back and letting the Lord be your defender, running to him as a refuge, that is a blessing to the other person. They think they want to fight, but they, they really don't want to fight. What they really want, if they're true believers, is to abide in Christ. And one of the blessings you can give to them is just not jumping in the fight. Every moment of every day that you don't jump into the fight, every moment of every day you don't return evil for evil, you are blessing the people <laughs> that are hurling evil at you. The teachings of Jesus are startling and beautiful at the same time. He says, you were called to this. See in verse 9, this was what you're called. There's a lot of call. I was called to the ministry. I was called to teach. I was taught at a women's Bible study. All these callings. No, you know what you were called to? You were called to not return evil for evil. <laughs> There's your calling. Lord, I, just, Ed, I don't know what my calling is. Well, here's one. Don't return evil for evil and look at the blessings that will come into your life. Look at what God will do. He says in verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't miss that last phrase. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So that if you choose to return evil for evil, guess what position you've just placed yourself in? God's face is against you. There you are just minding your own business, loving God, worshiping, hands lifted up. Something happens to you. If you choose to retaliate, you're in the same position as the other person that calculated and planned and whatever they did. It's just evil. You know, we don't, I, I don't even... The Bible tells me to stay innocent of evil and I really want to, I, I don't even know all the ways that evil can be done or perhaps evil is even in this room that you're facing. I want to stay innocent in evil, but I want to be excellent in what is good. But you may have your own version of evil done to you and the pain that you're currently in right now. If you respond evil with evil, you will hurt yourself even more with your own hands. We were called to brotherly love and we were called to joy and we were called to unity and we were called to, to courtesy. We were called, this isn't a lifestyle of being bummed out and burdened. Woe is me, everything's bad to me. That, that's the culture that we live in. We live in a culture of professional victims. We are not victims. The Bible declares that we are victors, that we have victory in Christ that the resurrection power dwells in us. Yeah, things happen to us, but it doesn't make us a victim because we can turn to God by faith and trust him and hide in him and he will guard and protect us and he will give us joy and unity and love. We are not victims. And I don't want to be a professional victim. I want to walk in the victory that's mine in Jesus Christ. Of course things happen to me. Of course things happen to you. God allows them. Sin surrounds us. But we are victors. We have the victory in Christ. Jesus Christ died and was buried. And as we saw time and time and time again down at the Parker Rec Center, he rose again from the dead. 
And he walked out of the grave into life, ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is an authority. We follow him. He is our strength. You go, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. God is your strength. You can take the position, woe is me. But it'll just bum you out and burden you. But you can also take to the position as woe is they. And you can pray for them. And then you can get on with your life and enjoy your life. And be used by God. And fulfill your calling to brotherly love. And fulfill your calling to courtesy. And fulfill your calling to maintain unity. Fulfill your calling. Don't allow the sins of others to delay or to hold back the work that God wants to... Don't waste time. Don't waste time. We've wasted enough time in our lives. Now as a believer, we don't need to be wasting time. This is powerful because this is in the midst of... It is wrong and it is hard. As Christians, we can live on one of three levels. The commentator Warren Wiersbe said, we can return evil for good, which is the satanic level. We can return good for good and evil for evil, which is the human level. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. Three levels. We can, number one, return evil for good. That's satanic. That makes sense. Evil for good. That's satanic. Secondly, we can just be good for good, evil for evil. That's human. Even unbelievers can do that. Or we can return good for evil, which is divine. And Jesus is the perfect example of what Peter is writing here. And I'll tell you, it's good to be a part of this family of God, this church family. Just a small portion of what God's doing on the earth today, but an important portion. There's something to be said with longevity in the same local fellowship because you go through a lot when you stick around. You go through a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of little annoyances, a lot of offenses, and you learn how to grow up as a believer. You don't just run away when things get tough and you don't just turn your back. You don't try. No, you say, no, let's stick it out. Let's see what God wants to do. Let's see, let's work this out. Uh, if you want, uh, I titled this Bible study, What Do I Do When I'm Wrong? You can also go to the website or the app and listen to the Bible studies I did in Matthew chapter 18. Because Matthew chapter 18 uh, is Jesus' fundamental basic ingredients and instruction on how to solve interpersonal problems with each other in the body of Christ. And step number one is, if your brother's offended you, go to him, you and him alone, share that offense. If your brother hears you, guess what? You've won your brother. Isn't that what you want anyway? You want it resolved? You want to take care of? I want to win my brother. I don't want to have a bunch of people that are mad at me and I'm like, well, they're mad, they're mad. No, I want it to be resolved. If that doesn't work, there's another level. If there's a continual sin against you in the church, then church discipline. And we believe here at Calvary in true church discipline. We've seen it over the years that if you decide to live in unconfessed, unrepentant, continual sin here, and you are unwilling to repent when you're confronted personally, and you're unwilling to repent when witnesses come, and you're unwilling to repent with the elders of the church, and this takes time, you know, it doesn't happen all in 15 minutes, right? We work with you, we help you, but I'll tell you, if it doesn't, if you choose still to live an unrepentant life, you will be removed from fellowship in this church until you repent. It's biblical. Paul described it in Corinthians as turning you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. That's how serious it is. We don't mess around with sin here. And we do so in the atmosphere of grace. 
That's the beauty. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, it's all about being restored. It's all about building back up together. It's, it's finding what was lost. It's bringing back together what was broken. That's the whole heart of Jesus. Any pastor will tell you that it's one of the hardest decisions to make when you have to say, I'm sorry, but you are unrepentant and you are no longer in fellow, you are no longer welcome in fellowship here until you repent because we're going to protect the flock from either stray sheep like you or flat out wolves in sheep's clothing. We don't know the difference. We just know the effect. Unfortunately, many people repent. 90, I don't know, I don't know the statistics, but 90% of the problems interpersonally are actually solved when you talk to the person. And they go, well, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I didn't mean that at all. This is what happened. And this, or I was having a bad day and I'm so sorry. Like, would you please forgive me? That's not, and then you're like, of course I forgive you. And you leave hugging and you're like, yeah, God has another victory. The blood of Jesus Christ brings another victory. But what happens when you don't resolve things, you try to get other little other people in your little camp. And now they didn't have a problem until you started laying your trip on them. And now you're laying their trip on them and they were walking with the Lord and now they're mad at that person. And now you got, and it's just a waste of time. A lot of disappointed people, believers at the Bema seat, when they look back and go, you wasted your whole time involved in that nonsense? When'd you take your eyes off the Lord? And... I just want to be an example to you. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to see that in my life. So he quotes Psalm 34, 37, you know, to give that insight on how important it is to love life and see good days, just to keep our mouths quiet. No deceit. You know, when you're feeling that thing, you want to say something, very rarely are you going to sin if you keep your mouth quiet. (laughs) If you don't send that email. If you don't hit that post button, very rarely. I mean, it's already in your heart, so you got to deal with it with the Lord, but you'll make it a lot worse if it comes out. So the Lord can deal with your heart. But that, that word deceit, uh, you know, when or guile uh, in verse 10 literally means, it comes to us from the fishing world. It, it means to bait the hook, to cover, to cover pain with flattery. Deceit is not being real not being honest. You're covering the true hook of your false life with false words. And that's why it hurts so much when somebody bites into it. So we're going to get into the rest of the section next time. Um, But remember, the context of this is suffering. The context is suffering, which makes us much more vulnerable, much more vulnerable to sinful decisions than when we're not suffering. Uh, and, And yet, suffering can also put you in the place of crying out to the Lord like you've you can put you closer to God than you've ever been in your life because now you're desperate and God's saying I've been waiting for you to come son daughter come to me come to me so father we want to walk in uh, the light I guess you could say I, I want we want to be honest and forthright we don't want to be sowing seeds of discord We don't want to be talking bad about other churches, other people. We don't want to be prejudiced people. We don't want to look down at someone because they're a immigrant or they don't have citizenship or uh, they came here the wrong way, whatever that is. We We don't want to look down at someone because they're not smart or they're not pretty or they're whatever way the world wants us to think. We don't want to look down on someone because they've done evil to us or they have Uh, slandered us or have hurt us. God, help us in our human condition because we don't like being wronged. 
And we just admit that to you tonight. We admit that to you. Now, just in the middle of the prayer, if, if you don't like being wrong, then just say it with me. I'm going to count to three, and you just tell God in your own prayer, because you pray with me, right? I'm not just the one praying. So you could just say, God, I don't like being wrong. Ready? One, two, three. So uh, you guys want to say it like louder? Uh, one, two, three. I don't like being wronged. And just be honest with God right now. You just let it be free. I don't like being wrong, God. I don't like it. And I'm asking for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit to enable me to endure this difficulty. And so just pour your spirit out on our church today, Lord, especially those that are in deep pain, deep trauma. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.